0: Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are going to be talking about the God of miracles today. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and for your mercy. Father, we thank you for truth, truth that endures into all generations. And we give you thanks for it today, Father. Now anoint our hearing, anoint our speaking, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, "'Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all of the heart, with all of the understanding, and with all of the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices.'" And when Jesus saw that he had answered him intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. That's reading after the New American Standard. So why did Jesus say to the scribe, You are not far from the kingdom of God? Is it because Jesus said that no man can come to me unless my father, which is in me, draw him? Jesus had yet to go to the cross when he was confronted by this scribe. And when Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God, he would be speaking to us as well, to every soul from the time that he walked the shores of Galilee to present. Since the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, all men are not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe above to whom Jesus answered would one day in his very near future be confronted with the question which has to be answered by every human being born of woman. This question being, what are we going to do with Jesus? Whatever a person's answer is to this singular question will determine on what side of eternity he will enter. All of us at birth, are on the wrong side of eternity. We are all born in sin, even when our mother first conceived us. And due to God's abundant love and mercy toward us, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the infinite God-man to live among us, to show us the way to the Father. He took upon Himself the punishment for our sins, the just being put to death for the unjust, that we through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection might come to peace with God himself. All of us are born with the propensity to be at war with God. But through Christ, God offers us peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that can reign in our hearts throughout eternity. We are, as the Apostle John wrote, we are in the lateness of the hour. We are in the last days. And there is only one who can help us and deliver us from the evil and the evil one. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And all of history revolves around him. And history is nothing more than his story of God's grace and mercy. God demonstrates his grace and mercy through his son, the Lord Jesus And God's mercy always rejoices against his judgment. But we also must understand that as much as God is merciful, he also is just. And he is just and the judge of all. All of humanity will stand before him. And the singular question concerning his judgment toward us personally and corporately as a nation will be, what have we done with God's son, Jesus Christ? Now, I stand in fear and trembling for my nation. Fear and trembling because of our continual rebellion against him, our shaking of the fist towards heaven, our rejection of Christ Jesus, and our continual despite done to the Spirit of grace. So I pray God have mercy upon us and help us in this hour of temptation. Now, there is no other person who has appeared upon the scene of human history, which has affected the whole of the human race other than Jesus Christ. It was my old Methodist minister, Reverend McKinley, who said this. No man can come face to face with Jesus Christ without being affected by him in some way. Either we will come to love him or we will come to hate him. To come to love God and his son, Jesus Christ, is, as the scribe intimated, more than anything one can do to draw near to God. But to reject Christ is to reject God out of hand. To reject the record of God's son is to reject God and his love and to call him a liar. Paul said this in writing to Timothy, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. For if we believe not, yet he abides faithful, he cannot deny himself because he's truth. We can deny truth all day, but that does not make truth wrong. Amen. We can't change truth. Truth is truth. It is Jesus Christ to whom the apostle John wrote that came by water and by blood. Both the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan river by John the Baptist and the cross of Christ at Calvary and all that Jesus did between these two great events speaks to all of us, all of mankind of the record that God has given to us of his son. And it is through faith in the work of God upon Calvary that penitents, those who repent, like you and me, those who believe, are granted assurance unto the saving of their soul. But to those who reject God's record of his son, they too will be rejected at the great judgment. For it's Malachi that said this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evil, every evildoer will be like chaff. And the day is coming that will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So with great humility and a total dependence upon God and his mercy, let us do what Paul exhorted the faithful Christians to do, Hebrew Christians to do, that were in the midst of manifold trials. He said this, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he that promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to talk today about the God of miracles. Now, in John chapter five, we'll be in verses 17 down through 24. Now, Jesus has just healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And, of course, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they began to question and begin to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. See, they heard of the miracle, but it didn't move them. See, if we're going to believe the God of miracles, we're going to have to be moved by the miracles that he performs. And this miracle Jesus has just given to prove is proof of his person that he is the infinite God-man. So in verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father works hitherto and I work. Now listen to this, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus equated himself made himself equal with God in his nature. Now look at the next three verses, 19 through 21. Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatsoever things he does, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Marvel, For as the Son raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens whom he will. See, these three verses prove this, that Jesus is with God in power. Jesus is with God in his nature. And Jesus is with God in his power. Now look at the last three verses here. In John chapter five. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. That's important. Then all men, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father, which has sent him. And verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my words, and believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life. want you to remember that. He that believeth hath. He that believeth hath. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So not only is Jesus with God in his nature, not only is Jesus with God in his power, but Jesus is with God in authority. In his nature, in his power, and in his authority, Jesus is with God. Just like John said in the very beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's who we're dealing with today. That's in whom we're dealing with. We're dealing with Jesus Christ, the one who is with God in his nature, that is with God in his power, And that is with God in his authority. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So now over in John chapter six, let's look at the God of miracles. Jesus is the God of miracles. In verses one and verses two. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now he's already been and healed uh, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Verse 2, and a great multitude follow him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus was a healer. Amen. We popularly call people faith healers. Jesus was the ultimate faith healer. Notice this, that the people followed him because of the miracles. Jesus was a man of faith. If you want people to follow our faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be people of faith. We can't vacillate between faith and unbelief. We've got to fall on the side of faith and stay there. Now, verse 3, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, And saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now notice verse 6. And this he said to prove him, to prove Philip and also the other disciples, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do to feed this multitude. But he said this to test his disciples. Amen. And that's important because testing, amen, is allowed because it provokes our faith. And a faith that is provoked is a faith that is going to overcome. If we wilt under pressure, if we wilt under testing, what does that prove to us? That we're really not people of faith, but we need to be. See, testing locates us. If we get mad and angry and begin cussing and take it out on family, take it out on friends, take it out on our children, what does that prove to us? It proves to us that we're not who we think we are. But if we'll hold fast, amen, I mean, grit our teeth and don't open our our mouth to allow a whole train of things come out of our mouth that we're going to have to apologize for later. no put our trust in God. So here's Philip. Here's the disciples. They're given an impossible task, something that they're not going to be able, amen, to meet. Philip answered, verse 7, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there is a lad here, which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but where? What are they among so many? See what Jesus was asking of his disciples was beyond their natural ability. There's going to be times in our life where the things that we have to deal with are going to be beyond our natural ability to solve. All of us have been there. All of us have been pushed to the precipice. And we have to make a decision. Either we're going to believe God or we're going to go over the edge, one or the other. Amen. I've been there many times. I've gotten to the place things got so bad I had to say to my wife, you know, I think you married the wrong man. Because I just, you know, right now, I, I just don't have it in me to know what to do. It required me to have to step out in faith And believe God, even when everything was going contrary to what I thought it should be. Yet. I had to step out in faith. You've done the same thing. Amen. We are going to be faced with impossible tasks. We're not going to be able to solve them in our natural ability. Amen. It's going to require something other than. And that is faith in God. Amen. So what Jesus was asking his disciples to do was beyond their natural ability. 200 penny worth of bread, that was equal to an average year's wage of a common person. And that would not be enough. Notice what Philip said here back in verse 7. He said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. What is Philip's thinking? Just give them a little bit just to get them by. That's not God's mind on this. Jesus proves that. Verse 10. Notice verse 10. And Jesus said, make the man sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. This is not counting the women and the children. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Remember at the very beginning of this teaching, we said that Jesus is with God in nature. He's with God in power and he's with God in authority. Jesus had the power to multiply the bread and the fish. Why? Because he's the God of miracles. What is he going to do in your life? He's the God of miracles. He will multiply the fish and the bread of your life. Amen. But you've got to have faith. We have to have faith in the God of miracles. Amen. Now, notice this. They ate. Notice it. Notice what John records. They ate as much as they would. In other words, Jesus filled them, every one of them, every one of the five thousand, including the women and the children. Every one of them ate as much until they were filled, not just a little bit to get by, but enough to fill each and every one of them to the full. And then Jesus said this. And when they were filled he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that were eaten. They gathered up twelve baskets full. That's one basket for every one of the twelve disciples. But we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what about the seventy? They were following Jesus at this time. We know that in the in the last part of the John chapter six, it mentions the 70. Why just one basket for each disciple? Why don't we have 70 baskets? Why don't we include the 70? Well, I tell you why. Because many of them that were following Jesus didn't really believe in him. They were following him for whatever because he was a good teacher. Maybe they accepted him as a prophet. Maybe they thought that they were going to gain. You know, like Judas Iscariot, he was following Jesus because he thought, you know, this is this is gravy. This is I'm on the gravy train. Jesus is going to come. He's going to throw off the Roman yoke. He's going to take over the government. He's going to be the king. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to be able to receive Amen. We're going to be rule and reign right alongside of him. Amen. And we're going to get all of the benefits, all of the perks. Why do people join the government? Because of the perks. Twelve baskets full, one for each one of the disciples. But the 70, they got their tummies filled, but they didn't get anything other than that. Why is that? Well, because the 70 didn't believe in Him, and they proved that. The 70 proved it in this very chapter that John records. They turned away from the Lord and they would no longer follow him. Now, there are many in the church. Many in the church that are following Jesus, but they don't really believe in him. Oh, the the age of miracles is past. Oh, really? Well, then you must not be born again. Then are you? Because I tell you, the greatest miracle going on today is people getting born again. Praise God. The miracle of the new birth. How could God take a vile sinner and in one moment of time turn him into a saint? Man can't do that, but God can. Why? Because he's the God of miracles. Let's read on. Verse 14, then those men... When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet, which should come into the world. And when Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus did not come to fulfill man's plan. And that was the idea that was man's idea of what Jesus should do. Many were following Jesus because they thought he was going to immediately restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. He says, it's not not for you to know the times and the season which the Father has placed in his own hands. But it is time for you to go to Jerusalem and to be endued with power from on high. See, Jesus didn't come to fulfill the will of man. He came to fulfill the will of God. Now, what we think to do is not necessarily what God intends or what he wills for us. That's why it's so important for us to know what the will of God is for our life. We must know the will of the Father before we can do the works of the Father. Many of us in the church world are just adrift. We are adrift because we don't know what God's will is for us. So how can we do the works of God if we don't know the will of the Father? That requires faith and obedience. Verse 16, And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea. We're going to see another miracle here. And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, a headwind. So when they rode about 25, well, 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. So here's Jesus walking on the water. That's a miracle. That demonstrates that Jesus is with God in nature, in power, and authority. Now, the 25 or 34 lungs, that's equal to about three or four miles and from where they disembarked around the area of Tiberius, on a straight course to Capernaum was about eight miles. So they were halfway there. They were out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee or the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And they had rowed and rowed and rowed against this headwind and they were very, very slow. Jesus is walking to them on the sea. Do you think Jesus was bothered by the wind? In no way. Jesus is the God of miracles. He's one with the Father. Amen. The wind didn't bother him. Now, listen to this. Now, verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately, we could say it this way, and at once the ship was at land, whether they went. Now, how did that happen? They had four miles to row. But Mark records or John records rather that immediately they were at Capernaum. How did that happen? Well, Jesus got into the boat. Jesus, the God of miracles, got into the boat. Now, what is he going to do for you? You may be struggling. You don't know when the end is going to come. You don't know how to get there. You're doing everything that you can within your power to get where you need to be. Amen. And everything is against you. What are you going to do? Get Jesus into your boat, brother. Get Jesus into your boat, sister. Praise God. Hallelujah. He'll get you there just like that. I tell you, if we depend on ourselves, that's a hard way to live. But if we let go. And let God take control and, and manage our life. We'll get there a whole lot faster. Amen. Now, let's read this. Let's read the rest of this uh, that we're going to study. Let's read it out. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea and saw that there was no other boat there, save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when do you come hither? And Jesus answered them. Notice what Jesus says now. He'll cut to the quick. I mean, he he can cut right through hypocrisy. Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. See, this is where we miss it. (laughs) We see the things in the natural, but we miss the message. We experience the miracles, but we miss the message. Let me tell you something. The church that you have not been going to is a miracle. You've seen miracles in that church. But you're not getting the message. What's the message? There is a person behind the miracles and his name is Jesus. And for that reason, and for that reason at all, you need to get yourself back into church. Well, the church doesn't do anything for me. Well, that, why, why is that? Is that because you're not in faith? You mean to tell me you're not going to church in faith? You're not going to church looking for the God of miracles? That's maybe because that's why you're not seeing any. Jesus says this. He says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Notice what Jesus says. And Jesus answered, and we'll close with this. And Jesus said unto him, this is the work of God that you believe on him, not may, may believe that you definite believe on him whom he has sent. So what are we going to do with Jesus, who is the God of miracles? What he does for us proves to us to whom we are dealing with. We're dealing with Jesus, the son of God, one who is equal with God in every way, in nature, in power, in authority. If we believe in Jesus, we'll believe in the one who sent him. Father, we thank you today for this message. And I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice. Amen. Open up their hearts. Open up their eyes. If they have not received Jesus as Savior, help them to see the one in whom you have sent. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. who gives life.